Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Aaron Hendon. He is a realtor in Seattle, and he's an expert on real estate investing, and he's done a book called Don't Get Fooled Again, An Insider's Guide to the Seven Questions You Must Ask to Avoid Hiring the Wrong Real Estate Agent. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Hey, thank you very much, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start with a little bit of your background. You weren't always in real estate. Give us a little bit of your background and then how you got into real estate and when all that happened. Sure. Well, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't born a realtor. Um, I was uh, I uh, grew up in New York. I went to art school in New York. I have a bachelor of fine art degree, which I found made me eligible to work in the food service industry anywhere in the country. I was very excited about that. And I went, traveled to New Mexico with my girlfriend, started waiting tables. The baker in the restaurant I was working in quit. So I started a baker. I, I started baking bread in the bake in the restaurant and then started my own bakery. And um, at some point in there, I hired a business coach and the business coach recommended that I do uh, a transformational educational program called the Landwork Forum. And I did that. And I thought that was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. And so I wound up a couple of years later after I'd participated selling my business and I went to work for Landmark. And then about 11 years after that, um, now at that point, I had two kids and didn't want to work that many hours. So I, uh, stopped working, you know, quit, didn't quit, but whatever, you know, stopped working for Landmark and, um, uh, then got a couple of sales jobs. And one of the sales jobs I got was a thing for uh, selling credit repair. And, uh, I was on the phone dialing hundred dials a day. And, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur business, started his own business, always been entrepreneurial. And, uh, so I was looking for new kinds of leads and I thought I would call the realtors that I knew because I thought they would run into people that needed credit repair services. And every one of them said the same thing to me. They said, listen, if you're doing a hundred dollars a day, you should be in real estate because you're going to make like a hundred times more money than you're making now for a hundred dollars a day. It's ridiculous. And, uh, took me a couple of years to get the message, but I got the message. And, uh, my only regret is I didn't start doing real estate sooner because it is, it's entrepreneurial. It's so much fun. I get to serve people. It's like waiting tables for me, you know, like just service, 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 service. And it, the pay is fantastic. It's just, and I get to work the hours I want. It's everything about it works. So it's been about five years now. I've been a full-time uh, realtor and um, love it. It's a little bit of my background. So you're working on the buyer side or the seller side or both on real estate? Both, both, whatever people need. So uh, you're in the Seattle area. Uh, what, what is the, the market like in Seattle these days? Real it's, it's one of the three hottest markets in the country right now. Um, it's an extreme seller's market. We're at the 15-year uh, low in inventory. And um, I don't know, there's a couple of internet startups up here. You might have heard of Amazon. It's like a bookseller online. They do some stuff. <laughs> I think they're a little so bit bigger than that now. They're yes. a little, yeah. You know, and they're hiring like, I don't know, 15,000 people a month, something ridiculous number of people flo flooding into the Northwest to work for them. Microsoft is on the upswing. Google, Facebook, all have campuses here now. So you got a lot of people from the um, exiting and running away from the high prices in the in Silicon Valley and then down from Vancouver. Plus, we got a lot of Chinese investment. And uh, all things told, it's Uber, Uber hot. 
hard to yeah. be a buyer in this market. Is that is that a market you like to work where you're uh, have multiple bids and, and uh, a shortage of inventory, or would you rather have it the other way around? Uh, I, as long as people use me, I don't really, you know, I don't really care for what the market does with the market. People think, oh, it's a hot market. It's great for you. I mean, on one hand, yeah, the prices go up and the prices going up definitely makes life easier because I have to sell less houses to, um, you know, make the same amount. So from that perspective, it's great. But, you know, it's there's low inventory. So you got to hustle 100 times more to find someone who's willing to use you to sell their house. And buyers have an incredibly hard time. So it's always hard when you're representing a buyer. So it's, you know, from that perspective, I'm cool either way. I'll take whatever the market brings. I'll, I'll I will help the people that need to be helped, no matter what the market brings. But but <coughs> how is it different from the other side when there's uh, too many uh, uh, sellers and not enough buyers? You've probably been through the cycle of the complete opposite of what it is now. Yeah, it's it, what it means is that you've got to you know you've got to educate the sellers differently. You know, it's always about education for me. It's always about educating the consumer for me. So you know when you're in a in a buyer's market where there's more inventory than uh, demand, when inventory is high and demand is low, prices go down and you need to educate your client that that's predictable and that they need to, uh, you know, be responsible for their selling a commodity in a market. And there's a lot of those commodities now. So the price is going to go down. You're not, may not get the price you want, but that here's the price the market's going to pay. And on the other side, when it's a seller's market, you got to educate the buyers that look, you know, just because, you think you should get that house for this price. If someone else comes in at cash at that price, you're not going to get it. And it's going to be more expensive for you to buy right now. And you might be buying at a top. And so it's just a different, you got to educate the consumer as to the impact of each. And uh, each are different. Every market's different. You know, if it was a stable market, it would be different again. It sounds like there's a lot of psychology in being a real estate agent in training people to, to hear what they don't want to hear. The buyers yeah. don't want to hear the price is too high. The sellers in the market don't want to hear that they can't get the price they want. So how do you deal with the psychology of dealing with both buyers and sellers? That's, what a great question, Jordan. Thank you. I love that question. Um, because it's really the, the subject of my second book is the psychology that impacts people when they're going to buy or sell their house, the blind spots that they have about it. And, uh, you know, I deal with it really from an educational perspective. So I approach would be clients from the perspective of they're hiring me to be a consultant and they're in charge. Uh, it's their money and it's going to be their house and they're going to have, they're going to need to live with the impact of the decision way longer than me. And I am here to be their consultant and uh, I am going to tell them no, <laughs> you know, more than they tell them yes. I'm going to be the guy that squishes your dreams. I'm going to be the guy that, you know, tells you you can't have that. But that's what you hire a coach for, isn't it? Isn't that why you hire a coach is to tell you the things you wouldn't tell yourself? Mm -hmm. So that's how I set it up in the beginning. I tell people that. So you're the bearer of bad news. <laughs> oftentimes, I, I'm, you know, oftentimes I have until the time where they get the house or they sell the house. You know, I'm telling them they're, you know, I'm just, I'm not telling them bad news. I'm just telling them the news that happens to be there. And it's really not bad news. It's just news. And then you have to interpret it as bad news to have it be bad news. And I try and keep my clients from the get go that there is no bad news. There's just news. And we're going to get you the best deal we can inside the current market conditions. 
So how do you prepare people before they on the seller side before they put their house on the market or the buyer side before they've actually started looking for houses? How do you prepare them for the process so that they won't have too much upset? Because it's a very uh, emotional process. It is. You know, I mean, it's the most expensive thing that anyone's ever going to buy. And for the most part, people are completely unprepared for that. You know, their approach to it is unbelievably casual, uh, given it's the most expensive thing you're ever going to buy. And you might do it three or four times in your entire life. You don't do this often. And yet people's relationship to it is crazy casual. You know, they pick a realtor the same way they pick where to eat dinner. You know, you go look at stars on a website or you ask your friend for a recommendation or you, you know, use the, you, you use the guy who signed you see all around. So there's very little preparation that people do that I think is appropriate given the gravity of the situation. Um, so I tell people that in the beginning, I let people know. So if you're selling your house, here's what you need to know. Here's the current market condition. Here's the inventory. We go over the graphs. We go over the numbers. We go over the comps, like what houses in your area have sold for. And I let the client pick the price of the house by showing them the houses that have been sold in the neighborhood recently. I say, okay, great. If you had this much money in your pocket, which of these houses would you take? And how much, does, how much is it similar to your house? You know, what's the differences? And would you, how much would you pay for your house? Given you could spend $600,000, let's say, and buy this house... On in this piece of paper, how much is your house worth to a buyer? Not to you, to a buyer. So you put them in the shoes of the other side. You put yes. the sellers in the shoes of the buyers. Yes. And then you do the opposite. You put the buyers in the sellers, the shoes of the sellers as well. A hundred percent. See, I come from it. I, I, given the context for real estate is so inappropriate, I think for people, given how casual they are about it, I try and create a different context with people and the context that I'm out to create with them is that they are the CEO of a, co of a company and that company either, either has a commodity to sell in a marketplace that's for the sellers they have a commodity that they're out to sell or for a buyer you're about to enter a marketplace with different people selling a commodity so either way you're the CEO you're the boss you're responsible for this money you're responsible for that commodity. And if you're selling something, if you're a CEO, Jordan, in a marketplace and you're selling a commodity, you've got to be in this. You've got to put yourself in the mind of the buyer. That's what a CEO does before they price a product. And the but same you find thing, a lot of people don't, that they price it higher. Uh, there's an emotional attachment to it or they, they're not mm -hmm. in touch with the marketplace, but they, they let it, their emotions affect their pricing decisions. Totally. Totally. The endowment effect is a known psychological behavioral pattern that people have that they value things they own more than things they don't own. And then you have a whole problem with Zillow and the Zestimate that comes out on Zillow, which is incredibly inaccurate by Zillow's own estimation. And I question the, even the validity of that. But by their own estimation, it the median error rate is 5%. So is it usually too high or too low, the, the Zestimates? No, it's neither. It's random. It's 5% off one way or the other, and you have no way of knowing which side you're in. When the, when the CEO of Zillow sold his house, and I'm not going to get the numbers exactly right, but I think the Zestimate for his house was $1.7 and it sold for $1.2 hmm. All right, so that's 
That's the CEO of Zillow, and they couldn't get his valuation correct. They're not in the business of getting the valuation correct. They're in the business of starting conversations with realtors between customers and real buyers and sellers and realtors. So they don't really have an impetus to get it correct. It's not valuable in their model to get it correct. So people but, are upset when when they oh, see yeah. an estimate that's higher and they end up getting a lot less. I mean, the guy who had it for 1.7 was probably upset when he sold it for 1.2, even though he was the CEO of the company. Yeah, I, well, I wouldn't be able to speak to his mindset it's, about it's, it. I, but yes, yeah. but yes. Yeah. People are upset. Yes, that happens. People get upset about that. So I, I try and do a lot of preemptive work with them about, you know, getting in reality about it, getting real about what they're dealing with versus just automatic about it. Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Aaron Hendon. Uh, he is a realtor based in the Seattle area, a lot of experience in the whole real estate market. He has a book out called Don't Get Fooled Again, An Insider's Guide to the Seven Questions You Must Ask to Avoid Hiring the Wrong Real Estate Agent. And there is a website for that, which is don'tgetfooledagainbook.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Aaron Hendon. He's a real estate agent in the Seattle area, also the author of a book called Don't Get Fooled Again. An Insider's Guide to Seven Questions You Must Ask to Avoid Hiring the Wrong Real Estate Agent. And the website for that book is don'tgetfooledagainbook.com. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Thank you so much, Jordan. So we're going to go through these seven questions. So the first one is that these are the, the questions you should ask. <laughs> How many transactions have you done in the last year and so far this year? What, what is what? 
what does that question get out of somebody to help them pick a realtor the right way? Great. Well, I, the number one thing it, it, it's out to uh, illuminate is if you're hiring someone who's doing this part time or doesn't have a lot of experience, um, you know, it doesn't make much difference if they've done 20 or 100. But if they've done less than 20, you really do have to question what's going on. They can't they can't do a couple of deals a month. What are they doing? In a lot of places in the country, you can't live. You can't make it, you know, a livable income at less than a couple of deals a month. And therefore, they're doing it as a side gig. I don't know if that's someone whose hands you trust to put the most expensive thing you're ever going to buy. Someone who's doing it part time or someone who's doing it newly or someone whose business is declining from last year. I mean, maybe they're getting out of the business or they're distracted. They're, something's going on in their life where they're not, you know, uh, their business is no longer growing. I think those are flags that people should be on the lookout for um, just to make sure the per person you're hiring has enough uh, background time, history, wherewithal to be busy and doing enough business to keep them, you know, sharp. Because there are a lot of people, housewives, who do this part time. And yeah. this is a field that does not necessarily mean you have to be at it full time. Are you saying right. those people can't really do a particularly good job for you as a buyer no, or seller? I'm not saying they can't. Uh, I'm certainly not saying they can't. I'm just saying that should be something that a buyer or seller should know about to be able to choose from. I'm not saying they, look, anything can happen. But what, you know, Jordan, here's a fun little fact for you. All right. Uh, uh, the person that cuts my hair, all right, I go to a, you know, whatever, a sport clip whatever, like a, you know, like a walk-in kind of place to get paid 20, 25 bucks to get a buzz cut. The person that cuts my hair has been trained for 1,000 hours. I mean, I, I literally checked every state's licensure procedure for this. 1,000 hours to get licensed to cut hair. In no state in the union do you need to study for more than 100 hours to get licensed to sell real estate. That's 10 times more for a $20 transaction than the, your kid's soccer coach or your mom's brother's best friend's uncle or whoever else you might happen to run into that says they're a realtor literally spent two weeks studying. So what, is it that, that, what is it that you bring to the process as either a buyer or a seller that a more occasional person who's kind of part-time in it uh, that's licensed what do you bring that, that they would not bring to the, to the transaction? Well, there's a depth of understanding of different scenarios that could come up and arise. There's things to watch for that I would be able to see that someone who's brand new in the business wouldn't be able to see. Uh, I'm also not distracted by my other job. I don't have another job. I don't, I don't get called into work <laughs> to go do something other than serve you. So I don't, you know, someone who's doing this for part-time has something else they do with their time. I, I, I'm at, you, you hire me, I'm at your service full-time. That's all I do is work so for you. When you're dealing with other, because you're dealing with other brokers all the time, mm -hmm. many of whom I assume would be part-time and not be as full-time with them, does mm -hmm. that create problems and make things not go as smoothly if they're not as fully committed to it as you are? Uh, yeah, it certainly has the potential to, and has in the past on occasion been a problem. Mostly it, it, honestly, and this is not, I mean, honestly, mostly it's an advantage to my client 
because that person's not paying full attention and I have a fiduciary interest to get the best deal for my client. So if the other side who also has the same fiduciary responsibilities isn't fully engaged in fulfilling their fiduciary responsibilities, that could only mean good things for my client. Occasionally it's a hassle or a problem because they didn't do something they needed to do in a timely fashion and now we have a problem because they weren't doing it full time. But mostly it just means they're not paying full attention and they're leaving money on the table, which I'm more than happy to pick up for my client. How many transactions do you do a month, just roughly? Three, three to four. And so is that the kind of minimum that people should be looking for in, in hiring an agent? I think at least two, 20 a year minimum, something like that. That's sort of a minimum. Uh, you know, you got to find out what the average price point is in your area. And, you know, if you can't make a decent living doing 20, then, you know, but you can ask people, are you doing this full time, part time, what your deal is? I think it's just a decent metric to be able to, at the end of the day, compare apples to apples when you're comparing agents. And I think it's something that people don't do is compare apples to apples. People, 75% of people will hire the first agent they talk to. Yeah. But there's probably a lot of agents that are not making a living at this, right? That they're doing it part-time and it's not paying the bills. And wouldn't that make you think, wouldn't that make you think, God, why am I hiring this person? I mean, what what other profession would you hire someone who's not actually getting it done? Where else would you even, would you go to a doctor that's not doing, making a living to hire a lawyer that does it out of their kitchen? Right. It's probably a personality thing and they like them or they're nice or something like that. It's not about their skills. A hundred percent. It's a hundred percent that. And for the most, see, this is, I keep saying it, right? But there's a singular, there's a singularness. I don't know if that's a good word or not, but there's a singularness to a real estate transaction, to a residential, you're buying your house, Jordan, real estate transaction. And that is, it is the most expensive thing you own. Wherever you're at in life, if it's your first time house, great. That's the most expensive thing you own at that time in life. You may 20 years from now have a more expensive thing, but wherever you are in life, your house is almost universally the most expensive thing you own. I mean, maybe if you have a plane and we're you know talking half, top half a percent, of, but you know what I mean? It's yeah. singular in its impact. It's the, you touch it more than you touch everything else. You, it has more of an impact. It, it sucks money like nothing else sucks money out of your pocket. It's the most expensive thing you own. You should treat it differently than you treat anything else. You should have a reverence for the process of choosing who's going to represent you in the transaction more so than you would, where am I going to dinner tonight? So your oh, second like question, it. your second mm-hmm. question is how much your business is referral or repeat? Now, mm-hmm. again, people don't buy house very often, so it could be a long time between, but you're saying people should if, if they're getting a lot of referrals, that that's the main way to uh, judge them as a being yeah. a good agent. Yeah, I don't know if it's the main way to judge them, but I think all seven questions together paint a picture. Mostly what I was I'm trying to do here is create a, a set of metrics that you can compare across the board to different agents. So when you interview them, you have some basis upon which to choose in addition to your gut. I'm not saying don't go with your gut. I'm saying go with your gut and use some data. So someone who has referrals, someone who does a lot of their business from referrals is likely to have systems and structures in their business designed to keep clients for, for a life. 
you know, they're not transactional, they're relational. They're in it for a long-term relationship. So if I get, and we got 62% of our business from referrals last year, that's because we stay in touch with our clients and we provide what they need. And we're all, they're not, we're not one and done. You're, you're not a client for us, you're family. And that's how we operate. And I think that's a healthy. So how do you find that out? How do you find the percent of referral? Or you'd is have there, to ask them. You'd is have it to social ask media? Them. Does one look at social media where there are references on there? How does one check out their referral business? You'd have to ask them. You just ask them how much of your business last year was referral. And they should be able to tell you. And if they can't tell you, that tells you something else. Mm-hmm. If, they, if they don't know, then you'd have to wonder why would they not know that? <laughs> And, and is there a whole kind of social media people giving references positively and negatively about real estate? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zillow is huge for that. That's a major resource that people use as, uh, you know, the Facebook with the kids these days, Jordan, I'm telling you, the Facebook is going to be huge. Um, Facebook, the, you know, Google, Facebook, Yelp, those are all valid places to find reviews of agents. Um, and I think you should do that. I think you should find people that have a, you know, a wealth of positive reviews. I think the problem comes in when that's all you do. Yeah. I think a problem comes in when you're just doing social proof. So, so your next question is, do you have a team or are you solo? There right. are a lot of solo people out there, right? And they yeah. use the listing service. What is the advantage of doing a, a solo versus a team or the pros and cons of the two different possibilities? Sure. From my view, a couple, couple of major advantages for a team, right, is uh, one is I'm already recommending that you hire someone who's busy, right? I've already gone down the road and said you should hire someone who's got a lot of business, not someone who you're their only client. So you've got to find someone who has a team so that you know that no matter where you are in the transaction, you're going to get taken care of. The temptation is to think, well, if I hire someone and I'm their only client, I'm going to get all their attention. Certainly conceivable, but it's more likely you're going to get the attention that's left over from whatever they're doing to pay the bills. If you find someone who's got a team in place, they don't have to be all people, all things to you. You have one specialist that handles each aspect of the transaction what are some of the other things the team members do that the agent himself would not be doing or not be a specialist then? Well, I don't know what anyone else, you know, I don't know for sure. I can't speak for every other team out there, but on our team, we have a staging specialist. We have a transaction coordinator, the person that handles all the details. I am not a dotting the I, cross the T kind of guy. So I hire people to dot my I's and cross my T's. So I make sure that all that stuff gets done. So I have someone who does all that. Uh, I have someone who comes in and takes care of booking all the photographs, booking this landscaper, that kind of thing. Um, we have agents that show clients, you know, who open the doors. So if you need to see a house on a Saturday night, uh, I, I'm not available. We have people on our team to get you into that house. So you're never waiting to get into a house. Uh, we have people that just negotiate. So all the different components of a transaction, there are people that manage that and are you kind of the coach overseeing all these people yeah if you if i'm your realtor i will be your point person and all these other people will be coordinated by me to make sure that it everything that needs to happen happens in the right order and so you're saying there are other people that don't have a team like that they try to do all those themselves and that means you're going to get a worse transaction for the most part as a, a buyer or seller it's certainly conceivable if someone's got, you know, does 30 deals a year and they're doing every aspect of every deal, 
I would wonder if I'm going to get the full attention that I need. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Aaron Hendon. Uh, he is a real estate specialist uh, in the Seattle area, but has a lot of expertise that will help you all over the country. His book is called Don't Get Fooled Again, and the website for that is don'tgetfooledagainbook.com. Let's find out more about how to hire a real estate agent in the best possible way. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Aaron Hendon. He is a real estate agent in the Seattle area, but has a lot of expertise in how to pick the right real estate agent. His book is called Don't Get Fooled Again. An Insider's Guide to the Seven Questions You Must Ask to Avoid Hiring the Wrong Real Estate Agent. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Thank you, Jordan. So question number four is about commissions. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is kind of a controversial question. I guess the mm -hmm. commission is 6%, but there's been pressure on that lately, particularly mm -hmm. in a very hot market as you're in. Yeah. Uh, can a seller in a seller's market get away with paying a lower commission? Is that a good idea? Yeah. Well, it's certainly conceivable that they can get away with it in a super hot market. The question is, do they know everything that they're getting into by trying to get away with it? And that the answer there is rarely do they fully understand everything that they are taking on as a responsibility. Um, but unlike, you know, I don't know, I don't have a canned answer for that. Like, yes, you should never go for sale by owner. I don't think that's the case. I think there are definitely price points and markets and times and occasions where you would be better off to not hire a realtor. I know it's it's crazy talk as a realtor saying that, but there just are. Um, but for the most part, I think if people really grasp what they're what what they were getting for their money, uh, they would hire the realtor. Um, it really does. So two, there's two aspects. There's this question and then the, then the next question. But the, this question is, what's your commission? Uh, you know, it's anything you shop on price. You know, you there's things you shop on price for and there's things you don't shop on price for. You know, I, I say in the book, you know, I've never shot, I've never needed a defense attorney, but I don't know that I would hire a defense attorney based on price. You know, I don't hire some things based on price. And I love a bargain. You, there's no way you love a bargain more than I love a bargain, but there are just some things I'm not interested in getting a bargain on. And 
I want to get, you know, the bargain is in the trust and the clarity and the power with which the thing is delivered. You know, I'm not going to save a nickel to pay a dollar later. And I think think that makes a big difference. If people go with a full service, 6% commission, they're going to get as a seller a higher price than if they went to a, because there are a lot of discount brokers out there who will who will go it for three percent or whatever you think the value is going to be that much greater to pay full commission most of the time uh i don't know if it's most of, so that's really is the next question is how much over asking price do you get do you sell your houses for see i think that question will you get your money's worth from this agent is an answerable question before you get in the deal you can get a really good answer to that question by asking them to show you their last 12 months of sales See, I think I know that we get our sellers 5% more than average, and I know our buyers pay 3% less than average. So I have zero doubt that you're paying me 3% is getting you more for your money than you paying someone else 1% or 1.5% or whatever you pay, right? I know we're getting you more than we're, I know we're giving you more value, and we're putting not just more value, we're actually putting more money in your pocket than you would this if you got someone else. To asking price on both the buying and selling side. That's the, the comparison you're making. What the asking price and did you sell it for more or buy it for less? Is that the idea? Correct. Yeah, you need some metric against which you could measure. It's a standard. It's on one level, everything's arbitrary. So is it the most? Is it a definitive? No, but it's at least apples to apples. You can then go down the road and see the four or five people are you interviewing who sells houses for more. And then you can begin to investigate why and what else do you provide? And if I gave you 3%, how much would I get back out of that? Because, you know, you can be, really begin to see, is it worth it to hire this person or not? So, yeah. So uh, is this uh, easily accessible, what the asking price was and what the selling price was in, in an objective way? Because I could see realtors kind of massaging those numbers to make themselves look better. Okay. Well, no, it's not easy for, it's not easy for the public to find. What you could get, though, is you could ask them to print the um, uh, the uh, MLS sheet, the multiple listing service sheet, which we should be able to show you in print, no kidding, what the two were, um, if you had a question about trusting them or not. And everyone has a somewhat of a question about trusting a realtor. But if you add everything together, you know, all seven questions, including the references, you know, which we're going to get to in a minute, but we could just combine the rest of the questions, right? Um, you know, I recommend that you call references. You don't just read them online, but you actually speak to them. Why? Because when you're hiring someone, that's what you do. You call references, don't you? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what people do when they interview people. For If you were the CEO of a company and you were out to hire the COO, you wouldn't just take the first guy you found. You would call their references and see, and you'd ask them. And then, you know, so you're beginning to combine all these different questions into a repeatable interview process that should be able to produce for you an answer you can own versus, gosh, I hope my mom was right that this guy is good. Yeah. Or I, I like my kid's soccer coach, so you know, it would be socially awkward if I didn't use him. Yeah. So, so you, you, you brought up the question of honesty of realtors. I mean, there may be a reputation here, but do you find most of the realtors you deal with are truthful and honorable and have integrity or, or are there a lot of them that do not? I find that they are. I have yet to do business with someone who's uh, 
devious, you know, who's, who's deceptive, who's not, uh, I, I deal with people that make mistakes. I deal with people that don't do things the way I'd like to have them done. I do things with people that, you know, deals that didn't go exactly the way I, I thought they said it was going to go, mm-hmm. but I don't have people say X and then do Y and then try and make because people hold the bag for it. Their reputation would be very bad in the community because this is a pretty it, tight community of realtors who know each other probably, right? It's a, yeah, well, real estate is a hyper-local phenomenon. And so if you mess up, you know, if you're consistently uh, 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 lack integrity in your transactions, it'll get out and people stop doing business with you. It's not, you know, you can be bad and people will forgive it, but you can't be a liar. Yeah. Uh, so I, so I don't find that there's a big problem. question is about reputation and getting references. What are some of the things that people getting references on a realtor should ask about? Well, it's interesting, you know, because people always ask, well, they're only going to give me references that, you know, speak highly of them. But that's true of anyone you interview, isn't it? I mean, that's like, of course they are, right? You should ask them questions about how much over asking price that they got. You should ask, how was it to work with them? You could ask the question, what didn't go the way you wanted to? And how did your, how did this guy handle that? And is this someone you would recommend? And if so, why? What, you know, like you could just talk to them. Listen, I'm a buyer and here's what I'm worried about. Do you think this person would be good? I've gotten calls from people that used me as a reference and the person on the other end of the phone said, listen, here's the job I want them to do. Would you recommend them for this job? I've had that call. I don't think twice about it. I don't like, that's a regular, you know, that's a call you get when someone uses you as a reference. Yeah. This is a job. You're getting, you are hiring someone for a job. You are not getting someone to help you out. The, the real problem, Jordan, and I think it's the problem really fundamentally that your show is out to address across the board you know, is to empower people in their, in their conversations about money, in their, in their financial education. And I think people are wary of looking stupid. And the context for real estate in particular in this culture is something like you're supposed to just know how to do it. You're just supposed to know how to do it. So everyone is afraid of feeling stupid. Yeah. And your and, seventh question is, at what price would you list my home mm-hmm. or what do you think it should sell for? So the pricing decision has a lot of decision that, that takes a lot of experience to get it right. Do you find a lot of people are pricing it wrong? They're pricing it either too high as a seller or expecting too low as a buyer? I don't know if a lot is the case, but and in, and in the Seattle market right now, you, you cannot underprice a house. It's not possible. You could put a house on the market for a dollar and the market will bring it to its natural sale point. Right. Um, so it's a very skewed market here. But I do think that there are certainly enough agents out there that do something that in the industry is called buying a listing, meaning they will tell you whatever you want to hear in terms of a price and then list the house at a price that they know is too high that they do not have comps to justify, that you can't actually see anyone bought a house like yours for that money in the market. It happens often enough that there's a term for it called buying a listing and why an agent would do that. Because look, they're not going to get paid on it unless that house gets sold, right? So yeah. why, would they, why would they do that? They would do it for two reasons. One is they get to put a sign in your yard and that is valuable real estate. 
has sign in your yard will not only create market awareness in that neighborhood, but they will get calls on that sign. People will call and they'll say, I want to call about the house on 7th Street. And you'll say, great, that house is 350000 which is 100000 too high for that house. And they'll go, oh, that's too much. And they'll say, okay, well, what are you looking for? And now uh-huh. they'll pick up a client. So they'll uh-huh. use your listing to get other clients. Okay, that's one thing they'll do. And so that pays for it. Second thing they'll do is you've already been listed with them for three weeks. It hasn't sold. You went through all the hassle of cleaning, staging, everything. They may have told you it was priced a little bit high anyway. So now they're going to come back at you with price reductions because you're already listing with them. And if they've been vaguely honest with you and fairly forthright, you're liable to trust them. And then they'll get your house sold. But now it won't sell for the 250 It would have had you listed it at 240 initially and gotten a little bidding war going. It'll sell for 220 because it's an old listing and nobody thinks the old listing is worth what a new listing is worth. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll buy a listing from you by telling you it's worth more than it is just because they think you want to hear that. So is this considered unethical in the real estate business to buy a listing? Uh, it is to me. I don't know if it <laughs> is to anyone else. I, I won't do it. Most I, Look, I won't do it because it just doesn't work. I can't lie to someone and tell them it's worth more. Uh, and it doesn't work for me because it screws up my statistics. You know, and I listed at 350 and I sell for 250. I can no longer say I sell for houses over asking price. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and I have a reputation in the market that I'm going to get you more money for your house than you expect. I, I can't mess with that. So I would rather not take your listing. So when you're going in for a listing and you, you come in with what you think is a realistic price, uh-huh. and some other uh, agent comes in with a much higher price, how do you respond to that? You, you, you tell your potential seller that you know, they're crazy or I mean, how, how do you uh, deal with that situation? Uh, I usually ask, what evidence did the other agent show you that it could get that price? Because I haven't seen it. I looked, I usually spend an hour plus to price a house, at least an hour to price every house. Got to go into other houses. You got to look at, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into pricing a house correctly. Yeah. And uh, I'll ask, because I'll say, listen, I haven't seen any evidence that the house would sell for that. What evidence did, did they show you? And, and so sometimes you lose them anyway. Sometimes oh, yeah. people oh, yeah. want to believe. Oh, yeah, totally. And in some cases, they may be right. If it's a very hot market, you might lose a listing in a case like that. Yeah, well, I don't lose the listing in a hot market because of that. Because that part's, I, you know, no one's going to promise them more than it's going to sell for in this market. That happens in a declining market. Yeah. In, a, in an increasing market, we can pretty much, you know, everyone's going to come in high. So that's not really so much of an issue in this market. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour, Aaron Hendon, is a real estate agent in the Seattle area. He's got a book out called Don't Get Fooled Again, An Insider's Guide to the Seven Questions You Must Ask to Avoid Hiring the Wrong Real Estate Agent. His website, don'tgetfooledagainbook.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? 
Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Aaron Hendon, a real estate agent in Seattle, telling people about how to deal with a real estate agent and get the best deal. His book is called Don't Get Fooled Again. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Thank you, Jordan. It's great to be here. You also have another book coming out, which is called Real Estate Blind Spots. What are some of the blind spots that you'll be talking about in that book? Uh, Well, we talked earlier about the psychology of real estate, and uh, I really have you know, writing the first book and dealing with people and educating people about how to best do it. I got really interested in why would someone treat the most expensive thing they own the way they treat going to dinner? I mean, there's got to be some reason for that. They can't, that's not rational to do that. No one would, when I point it out to people universally, they go, Oh yeah, that's a little crazy that I do. Like no one's awake to it. It's not a conscious choice. So I got interested in what are the psychological underpinnings of that action, of that behavior. And um, uh, I uh, read a fabulous book by Michael Lewis, who's a guy that wrote Moneyball, among other mm-hmm. things. And yeah. uh, it's just brilliant, the big short, things like that. And he wrote a book about uh, two psychologists, Israeli psychologists, uh, Daniel Kahneman and uh, Amos Tversky, uh, and uh, about the work they did in the 70s um, and 80s regarding people's behavior, which have pretty much shaped what's a, a whole new field, created and has shaped a whole new field of what's called behavioral economics. Mm-hmm. And tra- traditional economics starts with that people behave rationally, that they will always act in, in a way that benefits the, themselves, their highest good. But I have found no evidence, and I don't know, Jordan, you'd have to correct me if you have, but I have found no evidence that human beings behave rationally. I don't know where you would ever come up with the idea that human beings are rational and in terms of economics they're not rational either so they do things like hire the first agent that they talk to they do things like they don't interview people they do things like this so i was like hmm what do they do and these psychological uh uh, uh, uh principles that amos and Tversky came up with are fascinating to me so something like anchoring that people get anchored to a number and then they have that number shape their decision-making, but they do it subconsciously. So, for example, the test, and this is another great speaker. You can find this guy on YouTube all over the place. His name is Dan Ariely. He's a professor at Duke. He's brilliant. Another Israeli. I don't know what they do in Israel, but um, they, uh, he took a test, right? Here's the test, Jordan. This is anchoring in, in a nutshell. You can, um, they had their students and take a, a, a test, and the test was this. They held up three, four different items, uh, a, note, uh, a textbook, a cup of coffee, a bottle of wine, a computer mouse, things like that. And they said, 
I want you to tell us how much you would pay for these items. But before they did that, they did this. They said, on the top of this piece of paper where all these items are listed, I want you to write the last two digits of your social security number. Okay. So, right, you just write that. My Mine would be one four, yours would be... Whatever, yeah. Whatever, right? You write your two down on the top of the paper. Then next to each item, write those two digits in the form of a dollar value. So next to the bottle of wine, I'd write $14. Next to the computer mouse, I'd write $14. Next okay. to the, right, all the way down. Now, next to that, write down how much you would really pay for that item. And then they collected the papers. People who whose social security numbers were zero to 20 were paid something like 460% less than people whose social security numbers were 80 to zero, zero. <laughs> Just because they saw that number there. Because yeah. they saw that number there. That's anchoring. They don't know they're doing that. So people get anchored to something. Now, we talked about the Zestimate earlier. People get anchored to the Zestimate. They get anchored to the sale price. They get anchored to a number. And then that influences their... A bill, their willingness to pay for something. That's a big deal. So you tell you, them not to do that. You tell them the yeah. estimates way off, yeah. uh, high or low. And so again, you're the kind of the bearer of realism when they, they're anchored to a particular number. Exactly. And that's what, and that's in the book. So the book is from the buyer's perspective and from the seller's perspective, where that particular, and I think four other particular cognitive biases, mental shortcuts, they're called heuristic, mm -hmm. heuristics, but where those things come up in the home buying and selling process to shape color, you know, and, and uh, uh, shape and color your behavior in the process, because just knowing that you're doing it sometimes is enough to countermand it, to counteract it. You yeah. sometimes have so, some people probably can't overcome it either. You know what? With a nut, with someone being rational, standing there, showing them evidence, everyone becomes rational about it. Very few people stand with this estimate has to be right. Do you find a lot of people going into the buying process are not fully prepared? For example, they're maybe pre-qualified for a mortgage, but not really pre-approved, or they haven't mm -hmm. done the numbers, mm -hmm. and they kind of get wrapped up in the process and, and lose the house because they're not fully prepared beforehand? Yeah, well, that's a bad realtor. If someone took them out to see houses and they weren't pre-approved and they weren't ready, then that's just a shame. That's a, and then, then ready, anchoring gets them messed up because now they're anchored to that house that got away. Mm -hmm. Everything now, every house you show them after that first one that got away is compared to that house. And it always is a heartache. And it's always yeah. this problem if you don't know what's happening. So yeah, that's, that's bad planning. It's actually the very first chapter in the buying section of the of real estate blind spots is you got to get pre-approved exactly for that reason. It's funny that you say that. Yeah. That's exactly the first thing I go over. What role do mortgage rates play in people buying today? I mean, mortgage rates are still quite low. They're not as low as mm -hmm. the all-time low, but do people move faster when mortgage rates go up to avoid the higher rates or kind of what role do mortgage rates play in the whole buying process these days? Uh, it depends, you know, it depends the market, depends where you are. It depends on a lot of other factors. It's not a deciding factor. You know, it's not one of the, you know, job creation in an area is much, much bigger deal. Um, you know, mortgage rates can go up 3% here and it still would be a very hot market um, because of the demand of jobs. So it's one of the pieces of the equation. Uh, but given the climate right now, 
in most of the country, uh, increase in mortgage rates will spur buying as people try and uh, uh, get ahead of increase in yeah. rates. Right. And another thing is that a lot of baby, well, not baby boomers, more millennials mm -hmm. held off on buying homes for a long time because they didn't want to be mm -hmm. tied down to a particular place. They were renting. Is that changing now that those millennials who've been renting for 10 years or so now getting off the fence and wanting to buy is kind of a generational shift there? Yeah, I, I don't know about the assertion that they didn't want to get tied down is the is the moving force in that. But for sure, people are now looking at buying as a opportunity. And, you know, again, in Seattle, it's particularly brutal for them because the median price of a home just went up to $722,000. I mean, it's, you know, it, you, you're, if you're a millennial, I don't know how you're, you're not getting that. You're going to get some little condo somewhere. Yeah. So it's difficult for people, but yeah, you do see people now moving more to home ownership for sure. Do you see people stretching themselves financially too much to get their first foot on the ladder? Uh, I don't know. I really do talk to my clients about that and make sure that they're not stretching them too much. I will have them get houses for less than they're approved for, uh, talk them out of buying houses, make sure that they know. I, I said it already in the show, and I think it's important that people know that a house is a money pit. It's a money pit. It will take every spare dollar you give it. There's no limit to the amount of money a house will take from you. Uh, and people need to know that going in. So I definitely caution my clients away from overspending, overreaching. Better to get something that you are comfortable making the payments on now. You know, there's no such thing as your forever home. Yeah. You're not getting a home for forever. In about a minute we have left, why don't you kind of sum up what a difference it'll make to follow your rules instead of the way most people pick real estate agents? I think the thing you'll get most out of it is uh, confidence and the ability to trust yourself in a transaction where you've had very little training and there's very little reason for you to trust anyone. You will wind up with a real sense of confidence and ease in knowing that the choices you make are the right choices for you right now. And I think that's the name of the game. It's the best you can hope for. In, in when you're doing the biggest transaction of your life, it's be more serious deal. about it being so ca instead of being so uh, casual, you're saying. That's right, yes. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Aaron Hendon. Uh, he is a real estate agent in the Seattle area, and he's done a book called Don't Get Fooled Again, An Insider's Guide to the Seven Questions You Must Ask to Avoid Hiring the Wrong Real Estate Agent. And he's got a new book coming out soon called Real Estate Blind Spots. You can find him at his website, which is don'tgetfooledagainbook.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Aaron. Jordan, thank you so much for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.